Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games games released each week. You can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. It's time to get sexy on secular sexuality. Hello and welcome to Secular Sexuality, the ACA show that is a little bit of everything all rolled into one. I'm Christy Powell. My co-host tonight is a child, a mother, a sinner, and a saint, Serafina Smith. I do not feel ashamed. Hello. (laughs) Hello. And our guest tonight is Brett Turner. Uh, Brett has led Austin Age Play since 2011 and presents at local groups and national conferences on leather, age play, medical fetishes, and master-slave dynamics, and is qualified to compete in the upcoming 2021 International Mr. Leather. Brett, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks so much for welcoming. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, that's right. We're talking daddy doms and precious princesses. So hit us up at 512 9242 or call the show at tiny.cc slash call sex because the show is starting right now. All right, Brett, we are walking into some kind of tricky space. So let's try to lock down some of this terminology. Uh, what okay, is, sure. What is a, a caregiver little dynamic? Well, okay. So uh, a caregiver little dynamic uh, is going to be some relationship between two or more people where there's definitely a polarity where you have somebody who most likely inhabits um, a more childlike persona or has more childlike traits uh, while being an adult, of course. And their vulnerability is an opportunity for their counterpart, the caregiver, to create that space for that vulnerability, a space of safety and security where they feel, where the um, junior partner can feel accepted and be able to be their more authentic self. so a caregiver little relationship uh, can take so many different forms. Um, that's really the most generic term available for any mm-hmm. kind of these relationships. So it, it's a great one to use for purposes of this show. Um, I want to note that it doesn't, uh, I'm not going to jump ahead too much, but it, it doesn't necessarily imply DS, uh, you know, dominance or power exchange or even sex. Um, caregiving really is a lot like it sounds. It means taking some level of responsibility for somebody else in a consensual way, uh, but it is distinctly flavored with sort of uh, domestic routines or, um, you know, the things you do to, to raise a child. Um, to early in the pandemic, I just happened to notice this. I made this household routine for mm-hmm. my partner, you know? And you can see it's really modest, out of bed, hug, exercise, dinner plan, cleaning and workbook, lights out. 
but it's also on a Disney chalkboard. And it's also in pink writing, right? So this makes it more appealing and hence more, you know, accepted and so forth. So all the little psychological tricks that uh, you hear about parents employing to get their kid whom they love to like eat the new food or things like that, those are features in caregiver little relationships too. Um, this sort of baseline atmospheric persuasion and the sort of um, ambient childlike stuff that helps create the space and the mood uh, for you to do this. And the the workbook, for example, you can certainly co-opt regular parenting things. You don't have to go make your own. All this stuff exists. But the workbook referenced on that chalkboard is actually a loom workbook, a loom journal that is produced to be done by a parent and a child. So, you know, here's some examples of our pandemic journal entries. You know, you can see the alternating pen and crayon. That's all I wanted you to see. Um, and we explored different topics together, uh, fed the rabbits, went for walks, all those types of things. But in these dynamics, you know, you can, if you're the caregiver, then if you're at a store and you reach your hand back, you know, that hand is there waiting to be taken. And a parent or an older brother or sister understands what that's like. It's, it's a really nice love language. It's really a mode of affection, a language of affection that can happen between two adults where one person is most authentically vulnerable in this state and the other person enjoys facilitating that and experiencing it and enjoying it, making it part of their life too. Yeah. So if Caregiver Little or CGL is like our, our uh, big umbrella, how does age play or age regression uh, factor into all of this? Oh, wow. I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack. So sure. I guess I would put at the very top of the umbrella just age play because sure. okay. I would hate to bias the topic as being requiring a relationship. In fact, I really like to um, enable age players to do age play in a satisfying way without a relationship. I think that's one of the highest and best goals of age play community is to create a sort of brotherhood and sisterhood of littles so that you're not dependent on entering a relationship to experience this part of yourself and you're in a better spot to make good relationship decisions, you know? Um, so gosh, that was a lot, but you asked where did the age play enter into? Sure. It, well, you know, the age play term uh, is, is also the truest umbrella, top of umbrella term. You know, it's all under age play. And under age play dynamics, I would put caregiver little at the top of that sub umbrella. So age play is just the entire body but uh, of um, pursuits. But if you want to go ahead and apply it, um, age play can be the any form of activity that is that puts someone in that space or is adjacent to it, or is an expression of this part of themselves. And you mentioned regression. It's important to say that regression experiences can be very different from person to person. Sure. Uh, some people, when they go to an age play party and they get down and play with the Legos with you know the other age players and stuff, um, they could say to you, well, I didn't really get little at that party because my partner wasn't there, but I had a really good time and enjoyed the people I met. And there you have like sort of a, a sketch of how you can imagine a first, second and third gear might go. You know, um, if you are somebody who has an experience of regression, you could express you could regress more 
or less. Uh, so more doesn't necessarily mean down and younger. You know, right, right. So some people surely use it that way. Uh, you really have to ask people what they mean by their terms in this, because you know, re regression is is terribly vague, especially when people want to subdivide different age play expressions. So um, it's not necessary to have a regression experience to be an age player. Um, by and large, uh, people who are age players will call themselves age players, littles, middles, ABDLs, um, maybe pets or dolls or things like that. There's a lot of variety. Um, so others will operate in a way such that they're sort of regressed 24-7. And at that point, the term starts to lose meaning. Uh, what we're really seeing is that this is just a sort of always-on factor in their personality, that their their standard personality tends to be more childlike and expressive and so forth, more impulsive and uh, maybe more sensitive and things like that. Uh, so they might have a sort of semi-regressed feeling all the time and not be so conscious of special times when they're more regressed, or maybe they are. You really have to have these conversations with the individuals, but um, the terms are still understood that you can have an age play relationship with or without regression. You can be an age player with or without regression, and you can further subcategorize yourself kind of according to your arena of interest, loosely um, laid along age ranges, developmental states. And um, there will be exceptions, but it's a useful shorthand. And a given age player may regress to different distinct states. For example, um, gosh, you're, you're going to know theater people and so forth. Um, all sorts of people might have an inner persona that they give a different name. Sure. And in this case, you might give yourself three different names to indicate three different um, stages of development, each with their own likes and dislikes. And they may not progress exactly. There may be some sort of um, out-of-sequence seeming things where maybe – one of the younger states is actually more advanced in some respect. So uh, anyway, subcategorizing yourself into a, a, a little, a middle, an ABDL, or multiples of each is all fine. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about maybe altered states or, or maybe just a particular mindset, uh, language gets really tricky. And so I, I recognize mm -hmm. we're trying to describe like a very internal process when we're talking about age regression. And I, I also want to acknowledge we're throwing just a lot of terminology and a lot of new ideas at the audience. Uh, but I, I want to set the table a little bit. So as we get into this, where there's uh, maybe a more clear understanding of what we're referring to. So uh, to that end, you you kind of mentioned pet play, and I'm wondering how that fits into or maybe falls apart uh, in this this uh, model that we're building of you know age play at the top, and then uh, CGL is like a part of that umbrella. Mm -hmm, sure. So pet play is definitely adjacent to age play in that many age players would call age play a headspace play, mm -hmm. and so is uh, being a pup or being a pony, or so forth, uh, things that have existed for a long time. Um, in fact, at the Great Lakes Leather Alliance conference in, I think I first attended it in 2011 in Indianapolis, that, uh, that conference was set up so that different organizations held a social in the atrium throughout the day, and they went ahead and had the pups and the littles hold a joint social. And it worked 
beautifully because there's a shared atmosphere of playfulness, of mm-hmm. impulsiveness, inquisitiveness, curiosity. Um, and you could either have, you know, uh, dog bone shaped cookies or spiked lemonade or both. Um, though it, it's interesting to note from this story that there is also somebody dressed in a more BDSM dog style, you know, bigger, more leather, stuff like that, who had a harder time integrating into the little corralled area and interacting because the energy is so different. And I hate to keep using the term energy, but I'm, I'm going to keep using it because sometimes it's the best we have to go on. Um, the sort of feeling this person creates and how it merges with others. Mm-hmm. And anyway, um, you're going to find a lot of overlap between animal players and age players, um, at least a noticeable overlap. And when you think about our experiences growing up in a certain era, you know, really these are just sort of things we were all exposed to as a cohort, like pet play, definitely one of its watershed moments is the release of Disney's Robin Hood. I don't know how (laughs) how you're familiar with this, but this is a truth. And, um, but that, you know, if you're a Disney viewer at the time and later in life, you hold that sacred, uh, you may well be an age player as well as a a furry or pet player of some kind. Um, But you could draw a distinction between being more of a dog or more of a puppy. And I think um, you also see that same sort of friendliness towards shared play that I mentioned at that conference earlier. So uh, when I polled my, my age play group, we're about to have our next party. And I asked, well, would there be interest in sort of a pet play station? Like, what if I set up a a medical table with some um, band-aids and, you know, stethoscope and maybe, I don't know, brushes, like you, you pet people come up with what else should be there, but, you know, leave a white coat there. So whoever wants to put it on and do the exam and distribute the lollipop or dog treat, can and so these these groups play very well together you could very easily have a so-called baby doctor do the exam for a puppy i mean why not um they're certainly qualified uh (laughs) a fake doctor for a fake dog in a sense is, is perfectly okay um so beyond that um well, they, they may regress in different situations, you know, um, mm-hmm. so that you could have your sort of pup corner where your pup collar is and your crate and so forth. If we imagine you're into those things while the rest of your room is dominated by stuffies or something like that. It's uh, there's no mutual exclusion here. Uh, these things play together as well as the individuals, you know, do they share sure. needs or are they just sort of the same thing in a different flavor? Would you say? Um you know, I bet you could draw some some commonalities, but I also have to acknowledge that I am not a pet player okay. and, and can't speak to like the puppy versus handler experience. That's that's one of the dynamic types that's out there for uh, pup players, pup handler. Um, also, alpha is a top for a, a puppy sometimes. So um, that said, though, nobody grew up as a horse. Who's doing? <laughs> sure, there's a there's a different type of imagination at work there. Right, right. What they're doing is embodying what is an inescapably human conception of a horse, mm-hmm. um, and further, a young horse, and what its mentality might be. Now, I, I've seen some pony players get very deep into their headspace, and it, it's uh, 
really kind of moving. Um, but age players, you know, we did all grow up as children inescapably. And um, it's so it's going to be different. Uh, you're going to need to be aware of your upbringing and how that influences you. Um, I'm not saying certainly that all age play is um, born of childhood abuse. I'm not pathologizing the kink, but your family patterns, whatever they may be, uh, if, if you were going to go digging for them and learn some things about yourself, age play is a hell of a way to do it. Sure. So that um, that's one major difference between that and pony or pup play. Um, you're, you're likely to find whatever is lurking in your in your subconscious eventually with age play. And those things just aren't necessarily there to my understanding for a pup player. Um, and, oh gosh, I mean, the family dynamic, once you start learning about age play and studying, you know, human developmental psychology and things like that, uh, you can start drawing some very interesting connections. Sure. Um, it, it, it's a fascinating topic for me, but once you start talking about age play through the lens of psychology, again, it sounds a lot like you're pathologizing the kink, which I'm not, but just saying there's a much richer trove there if you're going to dig. Yeah, we're, we're talking about a uh, like a non-clinical community derived uh, form of expression. And we can come in with a like psychological understanding of the world and maybe talk about internal family systems or talk about mm -hmm. like reparenting mechanisms and you know start to apply some of these ideas. And there's a lot of, of value in that conversation, I think. But uh, that's not to say that any of this implies a a need in any kind of meaningful way other than a need for self-expression, self-exploration, and maybe the same garden variety emotional needs for caregiving and caretaking that that we all experience mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. it, if you are listening to this right now as you're jogging through the park or however else you experience secular sexuality i, I want to make sure you don't feel as if you need to catch all of this on the first try or memorize all these acronyms and all this terminology uh but i i know that there's a lot of acronyms that people have probably seen floating around the web and i, I think it might help to connect some of these ideas to identify uh, what ABDL means, what uh, uh, DDLG or MDLB or, or some of these other ideas are, uh, so people can get sort of a sense of what we're talking about. Absolutely. Uh, and before I get into any acronyms or labels, I want to give the blanket statement that even if you don't find yourself among these, you are valid. If you mm -hmm. feel you're an age player, if you have any experience that you connect to this stuff, you don't need anyone's permission to identify as an age player and use that as your lens to explore yourself. Um, so yeah, we can go into acronyms. They, they can be useful uh, as a, a quick shorthand. Uh, so a couple that you mentioned, uh, DDLG, MDLB. Um, well, those stand for daddy, dom, little girl, and mommy, dom, little boy. And, you know, this is heartbreakingly heteronormative sounding, sure. but it, it doesn't matter who is in which role, you know, if they feel they should be or could be or want to try that role, that also is valid. People of all genders and gender presentations can be mommies or daddies. Um, so anyway, um, that said, it's important to um, reject 
a sort of visual pattern. We, when we talk about kink, when we talk about kink dynamics, when we talk about relationships, we have the slashy thing, like some initials on the left, a slash, some initials on the right. Don't stack those with the slash in the middle, like your sort of OCD would like you to, and infer that everything on the left goes with everything else on the left. Mm. So I, I really want to defeat and deconstruct this assumption folks might make that because caregivers on the left, like D in DS, mm. that caregivers are necessarily dominant. They are not necessarily dominant. And if you say DDLG, well, I mean, you put Dom right in there. So I guess that daddy is dominant, but you could easily say DLG or CGL. Um, I've been in age play relationships as a daddy who was not dominant in that relationship. It was collaborative. It was teamwork. It was a love language and and having a great time together. Uh, but there's no dominance required uh, to do that. These are a language of affection. They are roles. They are theater done for the benefit of the actors, not an audience. That's what someone called mm. popping and bottoming. But I'll go ahead and apply it to this, knowing that I'm going to offend a tiny minority. Sorry. <laughs> so um, anyway. So uh, other, other helpful dynamics, um, or, or ABDL uh, is another one you mentioned, and that stands for adult baby slash diaper lover. And this isn't even two people. This is describing one person. It's just two groups that are so easily and frequently lumped together that they have to share an acronym. But if your community is large enough, then yeah, you're going to have a DL clubhouse with no ABs, damn it, and an AB clubhouse, <laughs> no DLs, damn it because that's the nature of communities and their, you know, tendency to create separation. Uh, and that that's great to an extent, but uh, it's also true. DL and AB are different things. DL stands for diaper lover and AB stands for adult baby. And it is true that not all diaper fetishists are even age players, let alone adult baby or age players who express a very, very youthful persona. Um, I remember going to my first ABDL event and being amazed at how quiet and chill it was because everyone was on the floor, zoned out in the rug or in their toy with their pacifier in, just play happily playing together individually fairly quietly. And uh, that was new for me It because I was used to louder, more expressive, more rambunctious, uh, more, uh, mm, what's the word, um, extemporaneous and mm -hmm. um, impulsive people. So you're going to have different experiences with each group. They don't get um, an abbreviation, but middles deserve a little early explanation. Uh, so middles are hardest to program for if you're running a group because littles are attracted to bright and colorful things and their their um ex their desires and the things they're into are very visible you know they have fandoms they like nerf they like lego they like mario kart um you can have you can put out a warm wax station and they'll enjoy doing bdsm play that to them feels like making a mess um, so it's good fun, but middles, somebody who has an age play persona or space, but it's more teenage. Well, you know, they're subtler and harder to reach just like a teenager. Right. Um, if you have a middles party, they might all just shut the door 
and smoke weed and talk about boys. You know, like, <laughs> I guess I'm putting on a good party by leaving them alone and giving them a, a dark room full of glowy lights to do their thing in. Um, glowy lights are definitely a thing in age play. Uh, so anyway, um, middle really do suffer in, in all this categorization because um, they, they can so easily exist as a middle outside of an age play community, outside of an age play space. You know, they're, they're more adult in their expression. So um, they may never even identify as an age player because sure. there's not enough difference to really make it clear that there's something going on. Um, and that's actually our, well, I, I don't want to um, move too far from your question. Were there any other acronyms or categorizations you want to dive into real quick? I mean, I want to spend all day kind of parsing out all of this. Uh, as a big sex nerd, that's uh, very much like an occupational hazard of mine because I'll, I'll start to explain a basic idea and be like, but if we break it down even further, uh, but that being said, I, I'm going to let Sarah bring us to the phones here in just a moment. Before yeah. we mm -hmm. do, though, I, I guess I just want to kind of set the, the table a little bit for the audience and figure out. Like, what are what are we talking about here? I, I know it's not necessarily fair to ask you, like, is this a role play? Is this a relationship dynamic? Is this an isolated scene or a lifestyle? Because I, I know that the answer is kind of yes to all of those, but I, I'm hoping to understand better how some of these pieces might fit together. Yeah, yeah. This is something that I often start my class with, my, my Age Play 101 class, is normalizing the presence of age play in the US. Uh, because even as a, a vanilla couple um, walking into it, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, but you know, early in your relationship, you haven't talked about sex a lot, yet somehow you're at a sex toy store together and you sort of <laughs> separate and kind of awkwardly pick out something to sort of show uh -huh. to the other person, you know? I'm sorry to remind you of bad old days, but. Right. Uh, you know, you've got like the not. feather to show them and then you've got the actual toy behind your back just to see how the feather goes over. And if they're like kind of unimpressed by it, then you're like, the actually. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, you know, you can't go in there without seeing prominently schoolgirl outfits. Mm -hmm. it, it's, mm -hmm. it's just a massive presence in um, modern sexuality. This, this trope is inescapable. And... If this vanilla couple buys one and goes home and does it, was it age play? And, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, costumes are costumes, but what if, what if they do a voice, you know? <laughs> what if they really like it? Um, at the, it? It becomes a little difficult to say, like, when it's definitely age play, but we know we're on that road from the very beginning. Um, and if the uh, let, let's say the caregiver, you know, feels a little something extra during that spanking that is not just spanking, but maybe a glimmer of responsibility hmm. or something like that. You know, uh, the, the caregiver mentality could start to assert itself in that person in such a scene. So I'm very cautious about calling age play role play. And that's because there's sort of an you know, communities make internal hierarchies and you can imagine that some age players would sort of um, poo-poo role players mm. and sure. considering that's not the real thing. And I, I don't 
participate in this or support it. Uh, because while you might feel it's always on for you, that this is your constant state and that um, you're always a little and other people have a more temporary experience or it comes and goes or certain things stimulated or whatever. Uh, it's important me to, to, to say that the, they are also valid age players. So you can uh, paint your, your um, master bathroom pink and delicate, decorate it in a Hello Kitty theme like I have um, and, and put a ball pit in your guest room like I have <laughs> to uh, be a lifestyle age player. Um, but there's no hierarchy. Um, mm -hmm. if, if someone goes into the ball pit, you know, are they doing age play? Well, that's a personal experience. I mean, maybe, uh, but a lot of people get in my ball pit, you know, <laughs> um, they're not all doing age play. Um, so I, I want to say that age play is a wide net and a whole set of experiences touch on it. Um, so if you felt these feelings of maybe feeling a little small or a little extra vulnerable or wishing you could show this dumb thing you've done since you were 10 to somebody, some kind of art, let's call it, and have them appreciate it and think you're cool for doing it. Um, these are age play like feelings uh, at its core. It is. The, the bid for attention that underlies any healthy relationship, bids for attention should be met at like an 80% rate to have a healthy relationship. So the age play dynamic is full of specialized bids for attention. You know, look at my coloring page and use your parenting skills to praise it, not criticize it, you know, um, is a, a classic bid for attention. So if you ever feel small or want someone to accept your vulnerability or just accept you as you are for a more childlike trait that could suggest there's a little age play going on. Got a little age play in you. I, I actually really love that answer and that idea of, um, I, I feel like attention seeking behavior is like such a pathologized type of term, mm. uh, but everybody in a relationship wants to express different parts of themselves. And this really sounds more like a, uh, an emotional language, a different way of communicating care, affection, uh, need, intimacy, vulnerability, desire. Uh, and I'm, I'm fascinated to, to get deeper into it. Uh, before we do that though, uh, Sarah, who do you have for me tonight? We've got Liz uh, from California online. Awesome. Liz, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Hi, guys. Welcome. Hi, Liz. What did you want to talk to us about so, today? Yeah, I'm already completely fascinated with everything you covered so far. Um, but basically, to try to not take too long, um, I am in a stable, trusting, healthy, long-term relationship for the first time in my life. Woo! And I'm really interested in being more experimental in the bedroom. My partner and I are really well-matched libido-wise. We both have, like, very, you know, strong sex drives. And so far, all that we've experimented with has been like, you know, some light, like bondage play, but very light, very vanilla. Um, and sort of my, my, like my trip up and my fear is that, um, about a decade ago, um, trigger, trigger warning. Um, I did experience an assault and I just want to, I want the tools to start engaging in 
some kinky, like, sex play, like, bondage stuff, BDSM to start, oh, pardon me, (laughs) to start experiencing, I'm getting excited, to start experiencing that world safely. And I am nervous about, like, triggering myself. I don't, I don't know how to start educating myself, how to start experiencing, you know, kinky things with my partner while still like protecting myself and not damaging, you know, this beautiful thing that we're building together. Sure. Can I ask, have you um, talked with therapists about this uh, trauma? Uh, like, Have you like looked around its edges yet to see what might be triggering for you? Yeah. Um, and so far for me, it's um, weirdly been non-sex related it's been like a door opening suddenly like things that were Mm -hmm. situational around the assault rather than anything connected to the assault but i also because i'm so inexperienced i you know i don't know if sexually there are things yeah maybe the sense that i'm getting liz is that this is maybe more of like an intellectual or a cognitive fear rather than a visceral one what i what i mean by that is have you had any sort of like strong emotional reactions or even something approaching a strong emotional reaction tied to kinky sex or tied to any of these things that you're looking to explore? No, I haven't. Uh, So far it's been really exciting. I Mm -hmm. very much enjoy anything that sort of takes uh, like the way I was explaining it to my partner. was I really enjoy anything that sort of takes away my sense of responsibility mm-hmm. for the pleasure of the moment. So if I get, you know, tied to the headboard, suddenly I feel relaxed. I feel like I can just focus on what my partner's doing and not have to feel like I'm performing for them, if that makes sense. Or um, absolutely trying to make sure that I'm giving pleasure as I'm getting it, which of course takes your attention away from what's happening, you know, in the moment, what you're experiencing. And I think that's why I'm so intrigued by by, you know, especially like bondage bondage aspects of, you know, that that world because I didn't know until I experimented with my partner that that was such a freeing experience for me and such a, a relief to just be able to like, wow, I'm so in the moment <laughs> and I'm not thinking about how I look or, you know, what my partner's thinking about me. I'm just thinking about, you know, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Brett, I, I saw you just about to jump in. Did you have a, a place you wanted to start? Sure. Uh, well, first, um, I, I, I'm sorry for your, your experience, and I, I applaud you for um, working with it. Um, I liked Christy's comment a lot about how this is sort of a speculative fear. It, it's something you anticipate may be happening, yeah. but it's not something that's actually happened. And yeah. uh, I think something common for people who are exploring BDSM, DS, is a, a sort of performance anxiety, a fear of letting your partner down, of, of not having a good scene. And, you know, that's why bondage is so liberating. I mean, the number of mistakes you can make is now down to zero. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, all that said, part of uh, a, a good DS relationship or BDSM kinky relationship is stopping some scenes sometimes and being able to say, ah, you know, this is not working for me or this thing happened or I'm just feeling a little anxious. Can we come back to this? And trusting your partner to make that okay. Um, 
So I wonder if you've ever practiced with safe words. And of course, everyone's taught about safe words. They're in all the books. But did you actually use one? And do you trust, like innately trust from experience that when you say yellow, you'll get a considerate, caring response? I mean, it's worth trying to remove some of this fear. Yeah. Right. I think that that's really smart. I, um, I need to try that. I know that from experience, anytime I have had any kind of need that was outside the moment, you know, sexually, um, that my partner is 100% respectful, but I haven't experimented with a safe word <laughs> or, um, you know, I've been really nervous to even like, um, for lack of a better explanation to like get my partner's hopes up. By being like, you know, like I have talked to them about like, let's start experimenting. Let's, you know, I am interested. And they're like, you know, whatever you want to try, I'm down. Whatever you want to experiment with, they're like very open. And I'm the one who feels like I kind of have to set the pace. But I'm also yeah. disappointing. Yeah, starting, a, starting a DS relationship with two novices is a delicate dance. Yeah. Because you're asking someone to do something that you've held in your head for a while. And they've maybe held something in their head for a while, or maybe not. Maybe this is new to them. They just know that um, they're up for meeting your needs, but you kind of, Mm -hmm. your need is kind of for them to have a plan, honestly, and to want it and to run the show. Uh, So I I think there's a common anti pattern in these where the sub is the thirsty one, uh, the bottom is the thirsty one and um, goes and reads a bunch of books and then um, instructs the top or, you know, the dom to be on how and what to do to some extent. This can be very subtle, the coaching that takes place from (laughs) from, um, sub to dom or bottom to top when both are brand new. Mm -hmm. And it's worth avoiding because, uh, you know, yeah, you, you don't want to dial a dom you don't want to sculpt your own dom uh, part of the uh, part of what makes it work as sort of an energy exchange and fulfilling thing for both is that the uh, the person running the show uh, top dom whatever uh, is doing something they they really want to do and you hmm. need to give them some space to discover what that is and you need to do it in such a way that you're not controlling any of the output you, right. you, you need to not control what you're going to get and it's best to send your dom to another dom to talk about it not to talk about it with you okay Um, and Mm. again i'm acknowledging that you're losing control of what you're going to get back but whatever you do get back will be genuine and when they want to play it will feed them not just you And that will give you the the confidence and security you're looking for. One of the things that undermines this is um, not doing it this way and kind of questioning how for real it is for everybody. Mm. And these questions Mm. can go on a really long time if uh, the top or dom has not had a chance to truly discover their own tastes, needs, interests, and um, kind of go get their first, first wings, you know? and bring those back to your relationship. And like, how are you going to get that thrill of being uh, not responsible for, for a little a time when you're having to guide the person who's supposed to be taking that responsibility? Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't not want that- anyway, cause I do think I was like 
starting down the path that you were describing of like doing the research myself and then being like, well, I'm interested in this and I'm interested in this. <laughs> um, but what you're saying makes complete sense because part of the joy of having a partner who is like naturally more dominant anyway is that when, you know, they pick you up, when they, you know, push you down, it's so exciting because mm-hmm. you're not expecting it. Mm-hmm. You right. don't know everything that's going to Right, right. Letting them develop their their language of dominance that wasn't something you sort of laid the groundwork for is worth doing. But honestly, there's nothing wrong with reading books and playing around together. That that's completely fine. Uh, but you know, a separate space to go find themselves as a dominant is is something to create. Okay. Yeah, and, and Liz, I think it's worth uh, just kind of re-highlighting something Brett said about uh, maybe practicing even with uh, with whether you're using a safety word, uh, which would be in a like consensual non-consent context, uh, or even just if your safety word is like, no, stop. That That's perfectly acceptable. Uh, and unless you've negotiated something else, no and stop should mean no and stop. Uh, and those should be, you know, safe words. Uh, but you know, I like sometimes I will see assertiveness coaches or therapists uh, encourage somebody to go to a restaurant and send something back, even if there's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that you need to do that, but there could be some value in just sort of flexing that muscle a little bit and giving yourself a trial run or a practice opportunity to just say, no, we're going to stop right here. Because as, as silly as that may sound or as unnecessary as it may sound, there's a little bit of like mental muscle memory that goes into repeating mm-hmm. that action. And I think that's going to really protect you to have that skill like at the ready and ready to go sh- in the event that you should ever really need it. And even if you don't, yeah, it just prepares been... you and lets you know that you have it in case you did. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've been, you know, like not even... Like, as you're saying that, I'm like, why haven't, you know, why haven't I thought of that? And, like, I am very interested in consensual non-consent, but also there's, like, something in the back of my head, like, and I don't want to throw us too far afield here, um, but just, like, the worry that, you know, what does that say about me that I went through this horrible trauma as a younger person, and then now I'm interested in bringing, and I don't even want to sure. associate the two, but I am interested in consensual non-consent. And I know that the defining line there is, this is something I want to do with somebody I want to do it with. Right. But it still feels so like, what am, what am I doing? Is this connected? Because <laughs> I was yeah. young, you know, when the... I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that it's very, very likely that you would be interested in this regardless of that past experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that it, you know, that assault doesn't have the right to take this interest of yours away from you. Uh, I would also say that it's certainly possible that that experience is being worked out in your mind by an interest in these things. And that's valid too. There's nothing to apologize for that. So, you know, we want to make sure not to conflate our sexual play with like our clinical healing. Uh, But healing takes place in all kinds of contexts and that's okay too. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, it sounds like you're at the beginning of a really exciting journey and uh, have already done a good bit of healing and are working through the rest of it. So we're super excited for what comes next for you and uh, really thankful for your call tonight. Oh, thank you. You all were so kind and informative, and I just really appreciate your show and everything that you're doing to bring this education and sex positivity to the world. It's, it's phenomenal. 
Hey, well, thank you so much. You were fantastic, Liz. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, so let's uh, jump back into a little bit, Brett. Um, hit us with some examples. Uh, what might an age play scene look like? We already kind of talked mm-hmm. about the, you know, Britney Spears, hit me, baby, one more time aesthetic. Uh, but I, I know there's a lot more to it than that. Oh, God. Yes, yes. Um, and I, this is not a bad place to acknowledge something I left out earlier when you were talking about um, acronyms and, and abbreviations and things, is that age players can be switches. And oh, sure. uh, earlier when I said that an age player might have multiple states into which they regress, um, well, an age player might also be other roles. You could easily be both a mommy and a little girl, whether to different people or to the same person. And that's all valid. So when we talk about scenes, um, someone entering, you know, maybe a mommy right now, but usually they're a little girl or something like that. Um, so age play scenes, this is a, a common question when people are trying to grasp age play, uh, especially from the BDSM community. They're like, well, how might have seen this? How might have I seen this in the dungeon? Or how will I spot this in the dungeon? Or um, if I see a cute age player in the dungeon, what should I offer? You know? Mm. And so, well, I, uh, I mean, I have a number of approaches to this. And you can imbue many basic kink scenes with the atmosphere, ambiance, character uh, that fits a domestic scene or a schoolroom scene. Like, um, it's not difficult if you have any sort of stage management, you know, artist's vision, to pick the toys that further the headspace and stay away from the toys that would be a distraction or present a snag towards uh, believing in the scene space that, that this is going on. Um, so for example, my first BDSM toy ever, uh, was a hairbrush, a paddle brush. I got it at the Bath and Body Works in the Arboretum in, uh, maybe 1995. Um, and I kept that brush on my belt when I went to parties as sort of a subtle sign that it's, this is the type of spanking, a domestic style spanking quite likely an over-the-knee spanking. But uh, I'm just talking about the physicality and the appearance right now. An age play scene is going to be negotiated like any other, and it's going to be negotiated with both partners in their adult headspace. Um, And if you're going to give a flogging to an age player who likes a flogging, they probably have their own pink flogger that they would like you to use, <laughs> you know? Um, and if you're going to get one from an age player, uh, prepare for some silly things to happen. Uh, <laughs> you know, they might shoot you with a bubble gun or something like that. Um, so if there's anything we can count on our kingsters for, it's to be very specific, right? Like to, to know exactly what paddle they want or, or whatever else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And also we were talking about um, triggers a little while ago. This is Jermaine here. You can be an age player who doesn't want an over-the-knee spanking or an age player who is not into paddles or not into belts or whatever. And this is all completely valid. It's negotiated like anything else. Um, That said, I also mentioned earlier setting up um, a wax PlayStation for age players because it's kind of messy. And it's rewarding. It's not very scary. 
uh, when you see your friend do it, you want to do it. Uh, so that works very well. Uh, also, I mentioned setting up a medical table and putting out some, you know, band-aids and lollipops and a stethoscope and a white coat. And age players can get pretty far with that. Uh, so I, I do some more complicated scenes. Like I, I do a lot of medical play. And I, I mentioned props. Um, here's one that, that might quasi-trigger some of your audience. Anyone recognize this? Uh, let's see. You're, uh, for the podcast audience, you're holding up... Uh... The American Girl, The mm. Care and Keeping of You, the body book for girls. And this is uh, an older edition, and many, many women grew up and received a copy of this book. Mm -hmm. So showing it to them brings an instant transformation across their face. You know, whether they're an age player or not, like, oh, oh my God, where did you get that? Why do you have that? And, you know, I, I have it to do this to you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I have it. And, uh, you know, I also have a variety of thermometers. So anyway, um, reading stories to people, like reading, I read this book last together with somebody. Uh, while we were doing naughty things to one another. And, uh, you know, she read for a while, I read for a while. And another time, um, I was reading a story at a party in the age play room. Um, reading to one another or reading to your little is, is a very, very common activity in, in any kind of relationship. But I decided to use it with this age player I didn't know very well uh, to play in the age play room, which was a light to no play room under a blanket. So we were cuddling under a blanket I was reading, further play was occurring beneath the blanket, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and in a way that was subtle and didn't include anyone else in the room. So if they were, for example, a non-sexual age player, not, not something we mentioned earlier, but an important distinction, it wouldn't alter their experience. They could still color away happily across the room sure. without knowing that people were having sex under a blanket, you know? Uh, while reading a story. So I'm going to show you another another thing I prepared. This one doesn't require you to read through your camera, but this is a <laughs> stuffed crocodile. Oh, mm -hmm. Mirroring, right? Stuffed crocodile in a doctor's white jacket. All right? And uh, when I do my medical age play class, uh, the demo at the end involves uh, co-opting some uh, age players from the audience and hat, put, giving them nurses hats and telling them they'll be assisting the doctor, which is not me. The doctor is the crocodile, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's somebody else who is brought up purely to voice the crocodile. And I explained to them like, no, actually, you don't know what's going on. But when I look at you, please make convincing crocodile noises. <laughs> secretly, you know, I'm running the show. I am conducting a conversation with a stuffed crocodile and based on his instructions, which I alone can interpret, I am instructing <laughs> the age play nurses to do their thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, sorry to spoil it, but uh, the body bag I bring out does have a stuffed animal in it <laughs> bound, you know, and we're going to snip it open and they're going to do an autopsy on the stuffy. And, um, I have nobody could possibly expect what happens next. You know, I give them a reciprocating saw and have the other age players pull the stuffy tight 
and uh, sensitive viewers may want to just like <laughs> turn it down for 30 seconds. Um, and no one expects blood to come up mm, when this mm -hmm. from a stuffed animal, down yeah, into the fur, right? No one expects it. So, and then once we finally get it open and start pulling out the organs that I loaded into it earlier before the class, and find that there's a lot of candy hidden within them. Uh, it's really kind of a joy to see reveal after reveal because mm -hmm. H players, uh, an important dynamic in playing with them is that you are both the hand that hurts and the hand that comforts at the same time. You know, if a child is in a medical office having a procedure done with just a nurse, you know, they're going to hold the nurse's hand, even if they don't trust the nurse completely. Sure. You know, even um, if there's a shot involved, even if you'll there's take a, an uncomfortable medical procedure. Yeah. Right, right. So the hand that causes fear and the hand that gives comfort are in a constant balance in the in some of the types of age play I do that are more fear oriented because, you know, this sometimes is a huge turn on and there's a huge overlap with medical play and age play. So um, actually, my favorite part of this scene is then getting out a bowl, a candy bowl full of the same candy, new, no blood all over it and offering it to everybody until they say out loud, no, I don't want any candy. And then at this point, the big who is sitting next to them is looking at me and looking at them and saying, how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you don't want any candy? It's like, mm -hmm. well, no, no, they don't. Well, so, there's obviously an incredible amount of uh, like, ch uh, you know, childlike imagination uh, seems to be a very appropriate term and, and a lot of creativity in all of this. Uh, what are some of the like other really common toys or clothes or accessories? I mean, accoutrement to, to help build out that world. Well, stuffed animals are a standby. Sure. Um, age players and people of all, all ages tend to um, be very protective of their stuffed animals. So for that last scene, I make a point. If I have a friend in the class that I know is going to be there who is an age player, I get the permission of their dom to use an exact replica of their most private stuffed animal Ooh. as the body that, mm -hmm. you know, under autopsy, yeah. just to give them something, a little extra kick. So uh, <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so your question was about um, trappings. Sure. Okay, so clothing, um, accoutrement, things like that. So there's actually a huge business that has grown up to supply the age play community over the years. It's an industry now. And maybe 12 years ago when I was getting started, uh, you would essentially find people's home businesses, home seamstress businesses, tailors and so forth, putting up a crappy 1990s, early 2000s website and, um, you know, making stuff to order and then pretty reliably going out of business within a couple of years uh -huh. because it's the labor of love. And, and now uh, it's like half of Etsy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but even them, I mean, think about the experience of somebody making clothing for age players. I mean, we do this because it makes them so happy. Mm -hmm. uh, and it must be very rewarding to create a custom garment that somebody's visualized for a long time. But right now, uh, there must be a dozen diaper companies alone with um, several different prints and styles and thicknesses and so forth uh, to serve the age play community. And they're really good products. Mm -hmm. um, and on Amazon, you know, some of them can be delivered same day. Mm -hmm. And anyway, um, also these manufacturers tend to also offer onesies, which go with diapers, 
in, in mass proliferation, but also things like short alls and um, denim skirts, which are somehow, you know, related with childhood. I mean, mm-hmm. they, are, they are to me. I like them, uh, but I don't really know why. Um, I, I sure. suppose older women just don't like them, but I don't know. There's a, uh, yeah, there's a childlike uh, aesthetic there. I get that. There's also footed pajamas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really common. Uh, sometimes if you look for a while, you can find good ones of the right weight for your climate with the drop seat. I, I consider it an essential feature. Um, weighted blankets mm-hmm. have gotten popular. Sure. And that is that is age player crack. You know, they love them. <laughs> um, my, my little girl uh, has two, one, one at her place and one at mine. And um, it just dovetails so well with my role to kind of safeguard her sleep and general health and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, if you've been going to Hot Topic for the last several years, uh, you're going to see the proliferation of age play stuff there. If you haven't, yeah. you wouldn't have. But, you know, Melanie Martinez uh, is very much in the age play aesthetic. Um, so this particular artist is, you know, sings dirty age play lyrics and gets has an audience and her stuff is all at hot topic and it's little bottles and pacifiers and baby mm-hmm. charms on a necklace for whoever to buy. So it's really not hard to cobble together a great age play outfit from target and hot topic and a couple online vendors that can maybe get you that animal crossing bottle you really need. Mm. <laughs> Or, you know, the pacifier with a skull and crossbones on it. So everybody knows you're, you know, a, a bad goth bitch or whatever. Um, so this is actually so much easier than it used to be. You don't have to order this stuff from Germany anymore mm-hmm. uh, or from China or from a, a you know, badly produced catalog. Um, and when the you internet is making ed- these things more, do you think the internet is making these things more available or is the culture more accommodating now? Well, I, I want to back up to one more example to say mm. things. These things don't necessarily need even need to be specialist age play garments. Right. One sure. of the favorite things I've ever bought for a partner was a sort of little house on the prairie um, pioneer nightgown. You know, it's the most modest thing in the world, but it's in pink gingham and it's adorable. And I, I privately love the fact that I got it on Etsy uh, from a good Christian mom uh, <laughs> who just makes these things, you know, and I'm, I'm thrilled to subvert it uh, <laughs> and send other people their way. So getting things made by uh, professionals can be done either above board or below board. I mean, you don't need to tell them what it is. And you might just need very common things that are sized up. Mm -hmm. Not specifically age play gear, but you can certainly go to and find a number of furniture purveyors too. Folks who will make you a high chair, if that's your thing, um, or a crib or whatever out of variety materials. Um, So I have done this. I've had some furniture custom made. through Etsy and and local folks and had some old furniture I got that was antique furniture suitable for my purpose, just restored. So creativity still comes into it, but uh, jumpers, overalls, short alls, onesies, all that stuff can facilitate the headspace. But I wouldn't just 
it's something you want your partner to choose for themselves, mm. I think, in most cases, because people are very picky about their aesthetic. And um, out of 100 onesies, I, I might expect my partner to like none of them. And that's the <laughs> right answer. Sure. Uh, well, I'm going to let Sarah return us to the calls here in just a moment. Uh, but I wanted to return to something you said about uh, non-sexual age play. And I, I wanted to kind of just get a moment from you to, to clarify a little bit about how sexuality it plays into all of this, if it's inherently necessary uh, or how that fits together. Okay. Well, it is not. It may it may be inherently necessary to you. You know, sure. um, and in which case, you know, select your partners carefully um, th because they're basically going to need to be into that. And if it's a hard no up front, that's fine. Uh, if you are interested in in sexual age play, um, it's not unlikely that you might feel some shame about that, mm. especially if you're not part of an age play community. If the concept is new to you, if these are feelings that you haven't discussed with anyone before, they might be just safely encapsulated in shame. And you might need, you might now be confronting unpacking that um, and being radically honest about what you like with your partner so that you stand a chance of getting it. So anyway, um, I just want to acknowledge that uh, jettisoning, jettisoning your shame could be a mm. part of it. Sure. So um, back to your question. I'm so sorry. What was it? <laughs> Yeah, uh, would no, no. I don't have a specific question other than to, I guess, just highlight that this is a maybe a headspace, maybe a dynamic, uh, maybe it's an outfit, maybe it's a role play. Like there are different kind of edges that we can come to this thing too. And yeah, this is secular sexuality. A lot of those edges are going to involve sex. But oh, it's right, not right. necessarily a uh, like integral to what we're discussing here, that this is perhaps a piece of yourself that you might want to explore or a piece of yourself that uh, or maybe a language with which to express yourself that doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily need to lead to sex or sexuality in any sort of distinct way. Oh. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, whether you. Oh, I'm sorry, Sarah. No, sorry. I was just or, or even like romance or anything like that. It can be just like a friendly thing mm -hmm. quite right um i i could be a caregiver for a little who is a lesbian and we will never experience sexual attraction with one another but we can still have fulfilling experiences mm. um and meet some emotional needs for one another be really present for one another there's a lot of value in that and you know when somebody feels really seen and appreciated and authenticated, let's say. Um, you know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, when they want, when they say friendships are important, it really means friends who see you as your authentic self. Mm. So non-sexual age play um, is extremely important. Uh, that age player needs to be seen and validated as an age player. Uh, so they're not gonna have any trouble finding partners who are not who are interested in non-sexual age play and they may or may not also have a separate sexual relationship with that person uh that said it's just a practical consideration that if there's one age play group in town and you're gonna have parties then you need to create some sort of um distinction in spaces at the party so that people can self-select into the vibe they prefer at that time and maybe go across the great divide and come back later in the evening 
so it's useful to segregate your spaces and have maybe the upstairs be the kinkier stuff. And yeah, you might hear screams come down, but you can play the music loud and you can ask people <laughs> that use gags and stuff. And downstairs can be the more chill area where people are going to color, socialize, get their snacks and watch cartoons, play video games, stuff like that. that are all legit age play activities, um, especially done together in the types of clothing that you prefer. That's um, so anyway, um, when you can't separate spaces, you can still stagger times. You can sure. say from, you know, eight to 10, uh, this space is going to be this. And from 10, these spaces will convert to this. Manage yourselves accordingly. You're mm -hmm. adult. Um, so anyhow, when uh, you don't have a big enough community to have two separate groups, you end up doing stuff like that and it can work out reasonably well. But if your mm -hmm. community is large enough to support a sexual and a non-sexual age play group, you might have them. Um, and common stresses over this are things like questions like, well, can you do age play as a sexual age player with an age player who is a non-sexual age player? I mean, this, this question comes very early in discussions of this. And um, my answer is, well, maybe. I mean, let's, let's talk about the differences between experiences. For example, if, if I am changing someone's diaper, which is happens all the time, uh, it's very professional and routine, uh, the person who's getting changed may not be having a sexual experience at all. They may be kind of zoned out in a good spot, comfortable. It's what they showed up for. This is their thing. But the person changing the diaper may very well be having a sexual experience. Um, it doesn't need to alter what they do but it can certainly alter their feeling and their takeaway uh, without violating the boundaries of their uh, play partner in the moment at all. So anyway, um, a certain amount of bleed over can occur painlessly if you're, um, if you're willing to you know, behave, show restraint, um, be friendly, things like that, um, and not try to convince anyone to do something they're not prepared to do. Uh, that is definitely not the name of the game. And, you know, if um, you, there's various strategies you could use to help people uh, broaden their view of something, um, it's entirely possible that you could cooperatively introduce sexuality into non-sexual age play. But, you know, I'm inclined not to try. <laughs> um, I think... You, you really need that person to be actively interested in that. And sure. you, can, you can bring it up a couple times, but uh, I really think this is one of the benefits of being in a community where you can have different experiences with different people, um, or dare I say being poly, so that uh, you don't need to um, burden someone with the needs that your needs that don't fit what they can offer. Mm -hmm. uh, so a, a, a lot of playing nice together goes into this, but you can play nice together. It's not difficult. Uh, that said, um, sexual age players are very easily misunderstood um, in their, no their interests and goals. Um, and also, they, they still sometimes carry shame, even in their existing relationship. I was so mm -hmm. pleased and, and gratified when someone came up to me and said, oh, my God, I'm having so much more sex after your class when you came to our city last year because my partner heard you 
and basically bought it. Like they'd never bought it from me. Mm -hmm. Um, But they heard the chain disappears when you hear it from an outside source. Uh, Yeah, I'll just highlight. It doesn't matter what kind of class you're teaching, whether it's uh, on kink or sexuality or astrophysics. I think it's a good. It's a sign that it went really well if people are having a lot more sex afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I was pleased because I I liked them personally. As soon as she told, you know, walked up to me, I could picture again her partner at the time in the audience and Mm. how I had how he had nodded along when I had mentioned truths of parenting and uh, like you can connect with an audience on age play if they're parents of bio children in the audience by just throwing out a little conventional parenting wisdom. Like, you know, when you have a kid, you, you don't know what you're going to (laughs) get. And um, you, you can roll that out into the audience and let it sort of sink in. Right. Because there's some deep messages in there um, that, We have a certain amount of flexibility in our personas and capabilities and interests and so forth, but our partner next to us is not going to essentially change for us. Mm -hmm. We might negotiate things out of the relationship, but we can't negotiate anything out of them Mm -hmm. and should not try. Um, So anyway, um, I think perhaps what clicked for him was my saying, we're not in charge of what makes us feel truly alive. Sure. Um, we, we have to come to terms with it if it's a difficult thing. Uh, and you know, if you're, if you're somebody with an outlandish fantasy through most people's terms, uh, I, I sure hope you bring it up with a partner you trust in a, mm-hmm. a space you two can create together that feels safe. Um, and with the understanding that we all have these and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. Uh, well, let's jump into the uh, the calls quickly if we can. I know we're running a little late on time at the moment, and uh, there's at least a little bit more of this interview I'd like to make sure to get to. Oh, so, yeah. Sarah, who you have for me tonight? Uh, we've got Danny in New Mexico. Danny, you're on the line with Secular Sexuality. Hey. Uh, hey. Since you don't have that much time, I'll kind of just jump into it and give my question. Sure. Um, so, I am a little... And I, I guess kind of one of the things that amazes me is like the creativity that, uh, age players and those types of scenes have involved in them. And I was wondering if, uh, there were any ideas that you guys had about how to kind of transfer that with safe practices for the time that we're in of COVID and how to have these forms of headspace and play uh, if we aren't able to necessarily like go to parties and events and, and, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, that's a, a great question. You know, I've been kind of describing this as a like an emotional language or like a way of expressing a you know desire to be taken care of or a desire to take care of somebody. And I think we can all use a little bit of that right now. Uh, so what what kinds of ideas come to mind uh, to the two of you as we're talking about how to maybe embrace this period of time that we're in right now and uh, explore it through some sort of like age play or CGL dynamic. I mean, I live with someone who does distance learning uh, for kids. So I can definitely say that um, interacting with children or with anyone who is taking that position in a 
in an authoritative way is certainly possible um, over uh, over distance. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I'll I'll add to that um, that well, um, water gun fights are <laughs> rising in popularity. Mm -hmm. um, they they incorporate distance. Um, nerf not so much because you have to collect the little things afterwards. But uh, water gun fights. Uh, were one of the suggestions we had for moving our socials outdoors and and making them safe. I mean, in the end, I wasn't comfortable uh, having people gather, period. Uh, that said, uh, here's something else that's going on. On Fridays, there's actually a group of littles on the East Coast doing something they call isolation story time. And it's uh, Murph and Maverick's isolation story time. And it is a Zoom presentation that goes on for a couple hours with various performers, people reading or doing their thing, hanging out in the chat. It's a place where they might feel more little, uh, which you know is a, a feeling people crave when they have this interest. So uh, there is that, but also um, hiking, nature trails, things like that, playing outside, still okay to an extent, but in, in terms of being isolated, Animal Crossing, thank God. I was, you know, <laughs> sorry. Something, no, yeah, right? Um, Something so, all uh, age anyway. players and therapists can agree on. Thank God for <laughs> Animal Crossing. Uh, yes, very yes. period. <laughs> I had, and thankfully, I had a Switch laying around that uh, I was just using for Mario Kart and Super Smash Brothers at age play parties. You know, it's, it's really fun to get age players trash talking on an eight-man smash. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, Animal Crossing was a great thing for Littles at the time. And uh, my partner and many other Littles are connected on Instagram. Um, that that has its its own um, opportunities and pitfalls. You know, little, be, age play on Instagram is its own topic, not for today. Um, and let's see. Um, yeah, so video games and story times um, and watch parties are pretty common right now among age players. Um, yeah, I might get you started with those. Uh, but the latest, whatever the latest video game is that appeals to littles. Um, right now, my partner is obsessed with Fortnite. So if, um, if you know, authentically a game for children, but uh, she and her adult friends, adult littles, uh, all love to play this game together. And it's quite easy to connect remotely and plug in your headset and have a good time. Um, very, very easy. So I was impressed with that. And I play with her, whether locally or over the internet. Um, and, you know, she's much better at the game than I am. Yet <laughs> somehow I carry this authority during the game, you know. Uh, and I've played enough games in my life to make the call. You know, she's, oh, daddy, what do we do? You know, I can, I can wing it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know occasionally i get a very impressive kill and i go ahead and rake in whatever reputation i'm accruing from that she doesn't see the miserable losses i suffer you know so the myth of all-powerful daddy in gaming mm -hmm. is definitely a thing so um we we do a lot of virtual stuff gaming zooms um animal crossing instagram uh, fet life is worth mentioning uh, I don't think there's a huge Littles community there um, until you go find it. Basically, go align yourself with a given city. You know, there's there's not a national age play community 
to just go plug into the swing national calls. You, you know, you would join something from Austin or from San Francisco or wherever they had the resources to put something on like that. Uh, but I've recently been friending more age play group organizers and uh, socials are moving online. We have one every Wednesday, 630, uh, that is on Discord. It's a video social. Um, there may be a theme like do it from your blanket fort, or it may just be catching up, or it may be playing Jackbox, Jackbox games together. Um, I made some custom age play question sets for Drawful 2 uh, among Jackbox games, and you know that's good fun. So those are my suggestions. Yeah, I, I think the biggest takeaway might be to jump online and see uh, what's going on in the community. You know, uh, we'll we'll give some more details later, but ageplayaustin.com is uh, a great place to check out to get connected to things like this. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great night. Uh, Sarah, we may have to rush through it just a bit, but let's, uh, let's do one more if we can. All right. We've got Megan in Washington. Awesome. If I can get... Uh, hey. Megan. Hey, how are you guys? Hey. Hi, Serafina. Hi, Christy. Hi, Hi. Uh, guest. Hey, what can uh, we do for you tonight? Colin. Um, well, I'm a repeat caller, but um, I wanted to call in to to talk a bit. Um, I'm a, I would say an inactive DL. Um, I've I've been active in that scene before. Um, just thought thought it would be a good night to call in. Um, I called in about about a year ago. I think it was the conversation was more just like to discuss anything, but it's actually more focused tonight on on what I called in about. Um, I just kind of wanted to share um, my fetish uh my, my present thing mostly is cosplay um i've been i i, I wanted to to mention like uh, i actually put together a full costume like uh, i made my own rat tail um i actually learned how to sew and stuff to be able to make it and then use like colored duct tape over the top it's been really durable um and uh I, cosplayer actually, I like determination like and ingenuity never ceases to uh, amaze me i i'm intimidated by it i can barely sew a button and so when i see people make these incredible custom costumes I, i'm perplexed yeah um so yeah and then uh, I, I actually wear a uh, theatrical contact lenses and then uh i use a uh, a black tooth paint so it looks like i have teeth like a rat and uh i use i wear like a one piece just like a one piece leotard and i made like a tail hole in the back and then the tail goes through that and uh i've i've, I've thought about getting back in, into the diaper stuff um one thing i wanted to mention that might be uh, inspiring to some of the people listening is uh, uh back when i was into the uh, dl stuff like i i was mostly into like wedding you know i wasn't into like the other, um, I, I actually was able to successfully use uh, affirmation to uh, to become, you know, incontinent to some degree. Like, um, as, like I was able to induce bedwetting through affirmation. Um, I just wanted to put that suggestion out there. I don't know how how into it some people are. <laughs> um, I know that I, um, you've been discussing adult, both adult babies and diaper lovers, and um, a little bit on uh, doms and subs. But I've been I've been out of the scene for a while. I know that that back in the day, um, we used to refer to um, both of us would refer to the you know the person that that we wanted to like to you know 
changes and stuff, we'd refer to them. They were they were called daddies regardless. Mm, <laughs> Typically mm-hmm. back then, I don't know if if that's still the lingo. But I just, you know, thought it'd be fun to call in and share. Um, when, when I talked about my rat thing before, I'd mentioned I own a cat, and they'd said a rat, a rat that, that owns a cat. And it actually works out quite well because he gets to chase my tail around all day. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I, I, I dress up, and, I mean, like, um, I'm, I'm a bit of an exhibitionist. You know, I, I, I get enjoyment out of going out in public, dress up, and I'm in a really conservative area, so... That just makes it more that much more exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, we're glad to hear that you're. Yeah, we're just glad to hear that you're being you. You know, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's important to highlight like why why we're having this conversation, why we're having this conversation on the Atheist Experience Network or as part of the Atheist Community of Austin, uh, because we're we're looking for that kind of uh, self-expression. We're looking for that permission to be yourself that has been stifled uh, by so much of our culture that is so wrapped up in these Christian ideals of like what is acceptable, presentable behavior. And having the opportunity to subvert that and to uh, be yourself, to express yourself, I I think that's the liberty that is at the core of why the ACA exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing is, you know, like, like, um, like when I, when I was back at, back in the late nineties, I mean, I'm not that old, I'm only 40 now, 40 now, but, um, it was in my late teens, you know, like that I, that I, you know, began expressing myself more. But back then it's like in the nineties, there was a lot more people that, that weren't so wrapped up in like this, like almost like 1950s mentality. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, like, um, like I, I'm, I'm a strong advocate for liberty, you know, and freedom. And, uh, so, you know, um, I don't, I don't like other people, you know, you know, telling me like how I should dress or how I should walk or how I should talk or who I should be, you know? And so I, I feel like it's, it's a good way to express, you know, that we have the right to be free and to, to, you know, to, um, enjoy ourselves in life. I mean, you know, so. <laughs> well, I, I definitely won't put you on the spot, but I'll let you know that we're on Twitter. We've also got an email address, sex at atheist-community.org. And uh, if you'd love to share any cosplay pictures with us, we'd be we'd love to see them. I'd love to see that rat tail and just you kind of being yourself and enjoying that that personal liberty. I, I really appreciate you just sharing your story with us tonight. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, I've, I'm actually just on the phone right now, and I don't I don't have a pen handy, but um, I'll uh, I'll get it on Discord. I'll I'll send a request over there, and then they can. Or I think they actually they post up all the links and stuff typically on Discord from the show. Oh yeah, yeah, and in the uh, the show notes, the description of this episode, you'll see all the many ways to get in touch with us. Uh, we we'd love to uh, to hear more. So thank you so much for for calling in and for touching base with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely want to be more get more connected. So that, like, you, you, and you you're you're pretty cool. Uh, uh, guest tonight so i just i was pretty excited about the show and just wanted to call in so anyways it's been a, been a great show and so take care Thank glad you to hear it. you have a great Thanks. night all right well we we are running you know just a, a little bit over but i think it's really important that we have this next conversation which is just some of the obvious misconceptions that the age play community faces 
what what assumptions do people make and, and what can we maybe try to clear up as we're wrapping up tonight? Sure. Um, well, there, um, the, the top level assumption is that uh, interest in, in age play has something, anything to do with biological kids. And you don't have to be the top or caregiver or daddy to have this fear or this concern. Uh, in fact, people who might just be DLs leaving everyone alone, you know, just practicing their fetish in peace actually feel some fear that if somebody found that they recreationally wear diapers in their own time, they might somehow believe that they present some danger to children. Um, and, you know, it's not a leap uh, when you're under somebody's lens, you know. Um, so it's natural to really want to avoid that, that unpleasant interaction where you have to explain something terribly private to somebody who's not informed or sympathetic. Uh, so avoiding that experience can lead people to keeping their age play stuff very tightly under wraps and uh, even going through binge and purge cycles, getting rid of it all because they just want to leave all that complexity behind and not bring it into this new relationship they're, they're so hopeful for, for example, when that's actually the exact opposite of what they should be doing. You know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from opinion, of course, but uh, anyway, um, so since it's so easy for people going to a big kink party, seeing some rather young people dressed even younger and knowing nothing to feel some fear and some concern. Um, like, are they okay? If I talk to them, am I in trouble somehow? Uh, you know, these are reasonable thoughts to have when confronted with this unknown. And some people are gonna respond with alarm or disgust and that's their problem um, if, if you're the age player at the party. Um, but with information uh, that is moderated, um, one thing that I tell people at uh, who are organizing parties is that age players are adults by definition. Mm -hmm. All age players are adults and treat them as such. Feel no special handling is required. No special handling is required. They misbehave, throw them out. Um, and, you know, if they have a good time, invite them back. Um, tell them to bring their friends and make an age play corner or something if they would like that. Uh, but the, um, the persistent conflation of age play with pedophilia is, is something to be aware of. And uh, it's also not smart or wise to pretend that there aren't minors interested in age play that you need to actively exclude and you do. So I mentioned Instagram um, age play as being its own topic earlier. You should put in M I K in your profile, no minors in kink, mm -hmm. uh, which is a great way to signal that this is something you believe and you might be, you know, a better friend. Uh, for their purposes. So anyway, um, age play usually does a, a great job um, of looking childish from a distance. But once you get close, you <laughs> see that there's adult intelligence and adult sensibilities and adult nuance at play all the time. You could only think this if you didn't observe it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's worth pointing out that throughout this conversation, we've been doing what? Having a conversation. We haven't been showing pictures or videos or whatever else, uh, because if you did, you would recognize that on the outside, these are absolutely grown-ups walking around with pacifiers in their mouth or carrying bottles or whatever else. Mm. Uh, and, you know, on an interior perspective, you may be able to experience that uh, that sense of age regression or that sense of being a different person and that, that kind of mental space. Uh, but explicitly, we are talking exclusively about adults. Yep, yep. Now, misunderstandings can can still be surprising and goofy like somebody asking about the age players at the kink party like can, can they consent <laughs> you know well, yes yes they can no problem <laughs> they're adults they're adults yep adults can do that what uh what advice or, or maybe takeaways would you have for the audience in terms of uh i guess breaking some of these stereotypes or you know i i recognize that you're out looking to educate people about these things you're willing to do a show like ours to help clear up some of these misconceptions what else do we need to be doing to make sure that this is understood uh more generally hmm well i i am less of the normalize yourself type of person and more of the mind my own business type of person. Sure. So, uh, you know, I would encourage people who are uncomfortable with age, with age play or something like that to, well, it's clearly not your thing. Leave them alone. You don't, you don't need to, an opinion that you share with them. Uh, but the normalization of age play is, is already rampant. Uh, if you, if you go to Disneyland um, and I've been to Disneyland many times um, you see age players there, all the time and they're not hard to spot uh and i would add that we all probably know somebody who would be an age player if they were aware that it were a thing um i remember seeing a, a lesbian couple on the bus from the toy story parking lot going to disneyland and it's very clearly a mommy girl relationship where business mommy is on her phone but occasionally looking looking over it at her backpacked you know ear wearing uh, park pins and lanyard, like the whole thing, all the nervous <laughs> excitement, you know, and it, it, it's, it's two adult women. Um, and, but clearly there's a acknowledged or unacknowledged caregiver, little dynamic of some sort going on there. Then the only question is like, do they know? <laughs> <laughs> so when, when people are uncomfortable with age play, I frequently just need to say, well, gosh, Everybody has that eccentric aunt or cousin, right? Somebody who still likes to eat the cereal and wa while watching the cartoons in the PJs and has lots of stuffed animals. I mean, that's just an eccentric person we know and love, right? Like that's already pretty damn normal. Mm. And um, that that's kind of a healthy place to leave it for me. You know, the rest of it isn't necessarily your business. We can be kind of curious about whether they know or not. Um, but ultimately, um, we should be supportive of one another finding our happiness. I think that is a fantastic thing to end on. Um, thank you so much. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about uh, we've got uh, Prime Day is coming up. And uh, to get ready for Prime Day, you can uh, shop at tiny.cc slash Prime Day ACA or with Amazon Smile on in the Amazon Shopping app. Um, 
and uh, Amazon Smile will donate part of that to the ACA. Um, it's a, another way for folks to support and donate, which uh, helps us keep the lights on, helps us keep uh, keep these content coming. Plus, you get to get your Amazon stuff, and that's always nice. <laughs> um, thank you, Brett, for coming. Uh, we've got, uh, if anyone wants to learn more about what Brett's doing and his uh, the group that he's with, go to ageplayaustin.com where you can find links to the Instagram, Discord, FetLife, and plenty more. Uh, and uh, before we go, we definitely want to include our amazing crew and talk about mm. them. Hey, there's Crew Cam. All hey, the many people baby. that help us put this together. I'm very sad that the Crew Cat is not here, but otherwise. <laughs> it's, still a, it's still a mostly decent team of, uh, of good people. I mean, mostly, you know, they're <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, and then uh, on top of uh, all of the Brett's, uh, Sarah mentioned for, uh, I'm sorry, all of the links that Sarah mentioned for Brett, uh, there's, uh, of course, our at Secular Sex Twitter account, as well as the Secular Sexuality Facebook fan group. Uh, we, of course, want to mention our Teespring, as well as Patreon, these other opportunities for you to engage, embrace, and be a part of the community uh, in the atheist community of Austin. Uh, and outside of that, I think this is a, a good moment to encourage everybody to uh, go and give themselves a big old orgasm. Or better yet, give somebody else one. Mm -hmm.